I'm going to read to you the first 10 verses of this chapter this morning. I think some verses that might be very, very familiar to us all. Luke 15, commencing at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, that is Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he, that is Jesus, told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbours, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbours, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. And now, Lord, guide our thoughts, our hearts, my words. May we be reminded afresh today of your love, especially for the lost. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> these parables in, John, in uh, Luke chapter 15, are these parables of Jesus, as I said, are probably some of the most well-known kind of parables, uh, particularly whether it be in, in church circles or outside of church circles. I'm sure there are many people in our world today who will be very f- familiar with the parable of the prodigal son. Each of these three stories that Jesus tells here all focus on things that were lost. A lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And the reason Jesus gives these parables is to show by illustration what God is like. We mustn't miss that today. This is Jesus trying to help us to understand what God in his character is like. And Jesus wants his audience to understand that, that people matter to God. And that God himself will go to extraordinary lengths in order to restore people to a relationship with himself. And when they are restored, that God, along with all the hosts of heaven, rejoices over them. I'm going to dive straight in this morning and see that there at the opening verse of this passage, the first thing we see is that Jesus is attracting a crowd. Verse, chapter 15, verse 1, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. 
See, as Jesus went about his, his teaching and his preaching ministry there in, uh, in, the, in, in Israel, the, the, the region of, 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 of the northern part of Israel and Galilee, and now moving down into the southern parts and, and areas around Israel, Jesus has been mo- moving about with his disciples. He's been preaching and teaching about the kingdom of God, calling people to repent and to enter into that kingdom. He's been healing people and, uh, and, and you know, sort of showing or demonstrating, if you like, the power of God's kingdom at work through him, that he is the inaugurator of this new kingdom. And Jesus has drawn near to those who are sick. He showed love and mercy and grace to the hurting, the downtrodden, the poor, the reviled, All these people have drawn near to him like moths to a light. Luke identifies them here as tax collectors and sinners, which was a a kind of collective way, if you like, of referring to these people as the unchurched of Jesus' day. These were the people who were considered to be religiously unclean by those who saw themselves as the in-group with God, the godly, so to speak. Many of these people were also looked down upon by general society. I mean, tax collectors themselves were viewed as the enemy. They were traitors. They were people who made a living by oppressing their fellow Jews and robbing them through the deceptive practices. They were so despised that people wouldn't even spit on them if they were on fire. And yet here, in, as in many places in the Gospels, as we read our way through, we see that, that the disreputable of society... The ones that are looked down upon, the ones that are shunned, the ones that are scorned, are especially viewed in this way by those who would consider themselves to be upright and good. Look at the second group that identified here. Verse 2 speaks of the Pharisees and the scribes. These were the religious people of the day. They were considered to be the people who were, the, who were considered to be nearest to God. They sought to obey God's laws. They sought to keep themselves religiously pure. They were the ones who were themselves actually were meant to help people know God and know what he is like. And Luke tells us as they see these tax collectors and sinners drawing near to Jesus... They look down their noses at them and grumble. That word grumble means to be visibly disturbed in their spirit. So much so that they mutter to one another. They are visibly disturbed by this veritable sea of sinners before them and by the way especially that Jesus associated with them. says the Pharisees and the scribe grumbled, saying, this man, speaking of Jesus, this man receives sinners and eats with them. 
you can almost see the disdain dripping from those words, can't you? This man. To receive sinners and eat with them was a way of demonstrating a welcoming of these people part of Jesus. He embraced them. He loved them. He made them feel accepted and included. But in the eyes of the Pharisees and the scribes, to associate with such people as these is considered to be contaminating. We could never have anything to do with these people. Held them at arm's length. And in doing that, they held Jesus at arm's length. Can you see that? We ponder on these opening verses of this chapter. We've got to ask ourselves the question who might we consider to be the tax collectors and sinners of our day? But not only that, we also need to ask ourselves who might be the religious types who seek to avoid and look down upon people like that. About the homeless, the mentally ill, those on welfare or Centrelink, the drunk or the drug addict, those who identify as LGBTQI. What about those who support the Greens or an opposing political party? What about people of a different ethnicity or religion? People of a different theological persuasion? Any of these kind of hit home this morning to us? Do in some ways. As I was preparing this message this week, <clears throat> I was trying to write my own list. You've just heard it. I don't think I'm on my own. If Jesus were living in our area today, here in the Kalanga, Marumba Downs, Griffin local area, who would he be hanging out with? What places would we find Jesus frequenting? What people would be drawn to him? Jesus, seeing the hearts of the Pharisees and scribes, seeks to address their hearts and the hearts of all people who would write people off and dismiss them out of hand. And so he begins by inviting his hearers to put themselves in the shoes of someone who has lost something valuable. And he begins with a shepherd. 
He says in verse 3, So he told them this parable, What man of you, or suppose one of you, having a hundred sheep, loses one of them, does he not leave the 99 behind and go out and seek after that one who is lost until he finds it? What would be your response to losing something of great value to you? You notice here that Jesus tells us that the shepherd leaves the other 99 in the open country. He goes after the missing sheep, looking, searching, until he finds it. There is no giving up on the part of the shepherd. Man, that, those words really hit home to me as I was, again, just reflecting on them this week. If this is what God is like, it reminds us that God never gives up on the lost. But I wonder how many times we do. God never gives up and he searches diligently looking everywhere for his sheep. I remember Coral and I, we had been uh, married not that long actually and uh, she had uh, a, a work um, uh, event that was on on this, uh, this particular weekend and we'd gone along on, uh, I think it was a car rally or something like, you know the old car rallies, you can't do them anymore because of insurance reasons and all that sort of stuff but you, you used to you have to go and you had a whole list of clues that you had to find stuff. So you, you sort of go to an area that you have to get out of the car and go hunting for the clue and all that sort of stuff. Well, in the process of us participating in this particular car that day, Coral had actually lost her engagement ring. And we were both so upset by that. You know, newly, newly married couple. And although it was a ring... It wasn't the actual thing that was important, but it was what it represented, you know? As some of you who have lost precious things like that yourselves, you know what that would be like. And so we looked high and low for that ring. We, didn't, we just didn't want to give up. We searched for it in all kinds of places. And then I, I went and I retraced our whole steps for that whole car rally that day. And it was on the south side of Brisbane. So it was a fair old hike. And I got out of the car and I was searching beside the roads and in the grass and all sorts of stuff. We reported it to the police that we had lost this ring. And I think in some way we kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that it was probably gone and gone for good. And a couple of days later, we had a phone call from the police station saying that uh, someone had actually found the ring and handed it in. And you, honestly, the, the delight, the joy on our, on our behalf. And, uh, and, you know, we just wanted to tell all our family and friends that the ring had been found. We were so delighted about that. we can get so worked up about something as insignificant as a ring how much does God's heart break 
over the loss of souls, people who were lost to him. And even in this place this morning, that might just be you. You have been living apart from God, chosen to go your own way, do your own thing. And you might not even realise today that you are lost. But God has set his sights on you as he has done on all of us who have come to a saving faith in in him. If it wasn't for God and the fact that he chose to set his affections on us and to come after us in order to rescue us and to save us and to bring us into this beautiful relationship with himself, then we we would be completely lost with no hope heading to an eternal situation where we would be apart from God forever and ever and ever. And the Bible speaks of that place as a horrible place, as an unimaginable place, a place filled with suffering and torment. And God's desire is that none of us would go there. None of us would be separated from him. And so he seeks after us like an Exocet missile targets you know, a plane or a ship or whatever, and he seeks after us, wanting to save us, bring us to himself. And what God wants us to understand is that our world is full of lost people. The second parable Jesus tells of a woman who loses one of ten coins, verses 8 to 9. This coin, along with the other nine, formed part of a a headpiece that was the equivalent of a wedding ring in that day. And to lose it would have been heartbreaking, just like we, Coral and I lost her engagement ring. And it would have been easy to lose in a Jewish home because Jewish homes in those days are often quite dark. The floor was a, was a dirt one and it was often covered with reeds and stuff like that, with, with grass and, and, and things. And, and so to lose a ring in that kind of situation, as dark as it was amongst all of the, the stuff on the floor, would have been trying to like find a needle in a haystack. And yet we see this woman, she lights a lamp and she hunts high and low through her house, sweeping as she goes, you know, listening or you know, looking for that, 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 that glint of this coin to, to catch her eye that she can find it. And, and, it's, and Jesus says that, that when she does find it, she herself also rejoices and calls her friends and her neighbours and invites them to celebrate with her for one, what was lost is now found. The shepherd and the woman call people to celebrate with them over finding that which was valuable to them. And Jesus says, when a lost sinner is found by God and is restored to God in relationship, then all heaven rejoices over that person. As I look across the sea of faces here this morning, I see that there have been many parties that has already happened in heaven as heaven has rejoiced over so many of us coming to a saving faith in Jesus. 
Can I tell you briefly how the Bible describes people who are lost? Paul gives a wonderful description in Ephesians 2. He says this, As for you, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course or the pattern of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the one, the Satan who is at work to, to uh, disrupt and, uh, and to try to bring to nothing the plans and purposes of God. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. It says, among those, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then Paul says in verse 12, Remember that you were at that time when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Remember that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the people of God, the commonwealth of Israel, and you were strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what it means to be lost, having no hope and without God. Because of sin, we're all separated from God and therefore spiritually lost. And yet in our lostness, God comes looking for us. He searches for us because he desperately wants us to be restored to him. People are that valuable to God. Remember back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve had sinned in the Garden of Eden. They disobeyed God, they rejected him. Who was it that came looking for them? Do you remember? It was God. He came looking for them, already knowing what had taken place. And he says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? God asks each of us the same question. He says, where are you? This morning, where are you with God? Are you there as part of the flock, as the shepherd is watching over you and you know, you're, you're enjoying all of the wonderful blessings of, of having the shepherd care for you and nurture you and provide for you? Is that the picture of you this morning, safe there and, and close to the shepherd? Oh, I pray it is. Or are you perhaps one of the sheep this morning who, you know, perhaps, you know, you've known the shepherd, you know what he's like, you've experienced and tasted the blessings that come of being part of the shepherd's flock, but at the moment you've decided to go your own way and do your own thing. Wandering off because there's some, you know, this tuft of grass or something that, that takes your fancy over there. And, you know, this, this thing in the world that, is, that has captured your imagination, has captured your heart, and you've decided to go after that instead, forgetting what the shepherd's like. Is that you this morning? Or as I said before, are you perhaps 
one of those ones who not tasted of the shepherd yet. You are, you are the sheep there lost in the world, you know, not even knowing that there's a shepherd there who loves you and who, who wants to seek after you and, and bring you into his flock and for you to be able to taste all of the, the wonderful blessings that, the, that, that he alone can give you. Where are you this morning? God asks us. Jesus said that his mission when he came was this. In verse, Luke chapter 5 and verse 31, he says, I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Now that doesn't mean that there are righteous and sinners in the world apart from God. All are sinners before God. But what Jesus is saying there, those people who might consider themselves to be righteous, consider themselves to be okay with God, who reckon that they don't even need to be restored to God or, or brought into a relationship with him, Jesus says, I've not, you know, those people, they won't come to me because they don't see their need. But the ones who do recognise their need, they're the ones who Jesus it's, you know, stands ready to, to bring them into his flock. And even those who, are, who do consider themselves you know, okay, if they do finally admit their need, God, Jesus will restore them as well. You know, as far as Jesus is concerned, he's willing to embrace and accept anyone who will come to him in faith and trust him for their salvation. I've come to call the righteous to repentance. Sorry, I've come to call not the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And again in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is God's means of bringing people into this new relationship with himself. And it is only through faith and trust in Jesus that a person can be restored to God. So if you're thinking here this morning that you know, there is some other way that you can have a relationship with God, the Bible tells us very clearly that that is not the case. There is only one way. One way and one way only. And the question we need to ask ourselves this morning as we, as we read through this particular, these 10 verses of Luke 15, is that who do we most associate with first and foremost? Do we associate most with the tax collectors and sinners or do we associate more with the Pharisees and the scribes? That's the first, that's the first question we need to get clear in our minds. If we associate more with the tax collectors and sinners, then Jesus is saying, you know what? God is seeking after you. He wants you to come into this new relationship with him. He wants you to be restored to him. But you first need to admit your need. But the reality I think today here in this place, and I, I don't say this in a condemnatory kind of a fashion, 
But the danger for, for many of us here in this place is that we will be more like the Pharisees and the scribes. And God says, that's not how I want my people to be. I want my people to have the same heart that I have. I want my people to go after the loss of this world with the same passion, the same desire, the same diligence as God goes after them. And he says, I want my people to go after the tax collectors and sinners of this world in such a way that we will seek to show them the love of God, that we will be like Jesus to them and welcome them and embrace them. Not embrace their sin, but embrace them because they are people and they matter to God because they are created in the image of God. Kevin DeYoung, in speaking to this passage, says that the people of God, we need to have both relationships or we need for both relationships and for repentance. Jesus was friends with sinners, but he also called them to repentance. And so we ourselves need to be willing to be friends with sinners, to eat with them. We need to show all people that they are loved by God. And the way we do that is by loving them themselves ourselves we are not to condone or agree with their sin but to call them to repentance and to show them that there is a better way all the while being aware of our own sins and failures can i underline that all the time all the while being aware of our own sins and our own failures Folks, when God started this church, way back almost 50 years ago, out there in Kalanga, he brought a group of people together. And his purpose for that people was to be people who worshipped him, who gave glory to him, and who were about his mission in this world of seeking out those who were lost to bring them to a saving faith in Jesus. That mission hasn't changed. This church over the years, when I talk about this church, I'm talking about the people of this church over the years have taken great risks They have taken great steps of faith. See people in this local community and further afield wonder God. Today, here in 2018, we ourselves continue in that mission. The mission hasn't changed. The world has changed, yes. And we find ourselves in a world that is getting colder and colder to the things of God. 
and more hostile to the, to the things of God and the people of God. But should that prevent us from continuing the mission of God in our world? No. Do we believe that God can bring people to a saving faith in Jesus? Do we honestly really believe that? Do we believe that God wants to use us, you and me, in that, per- in that process? You betcha. He does. You and I are going to be willing to put our hands up to God and say, I'm ready to be used by you in whatever way you want to. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to step into the adventure that God has for you and for your life? Now, some of you people today, you've been walking this journey for, you, for many, many years and you're coming to the end of this life. And I say this respectfully, some of you may not have too many days left. We, none of us know exactly how many days we have left, so I say that, you know, say that too. I'm sure that if you search your heart, you would want to make every one of those days count for God, wouldn't you? Yeah. Young people, you have got a whole life before you, hopefully. And God wants to use you in this mission to seek and to save those who are lost. There are many things today that you can give your lives to. In fact, for all of us, there are many things in our lives today, that we, that we, in, our, you know, in the world today, that we can give our lives to. But there is nothing more worthwhile in this world today than giving your life in service to God and to do what he wants you to do and to live a life that honours and glorifies him. Isn't that the kind of life that you know deep down inside that God has really placed in you that, that seed for that kind of life? Is that, what you, is, is that the kind of understanding that you have? I pray it is. And you might think, God, he's going on with this at the moment. Can he please just be quiet and finish off? But I look across this sea of faces today and I see a group of people who can be an incredible force for the kingdom of God if we're all just ready to say, not my will be done, Lord, but your will be done. We need to be prepared to seek after and to find all kinds of lost people. We need to be mission-minded. We need to think of ourselves as missionaries. 
I don't know if you see yourself as that today, folks, but that's exactly what you are. If you are a child of God, you are a missionary where God has placed you. And he wants you to show hospitality, to be genuine, to see people for people, not just as evangelistic projects, to love them, to sacrifice for them, and to to demonstrate by our own lives that God is worth knowing and following. That's the kind of church that God has called us to be. And the ball's in our court. The ball's in your court. My prayer is that each and every one of us will stand up and put our hands up to God and say, God, we're up for the challenge. Are you up for the challenge? Are you up for that kind of life? Because if you are, God will not disappoint you. And God will give you times throughout your life where you will be like the shepherd or the woman in these stories and you will be able to rejoice with great joy along with God and all the angels over sinners who repent. Let's be a church that so shines the love and grace of Jesus that the tax collectors and sinners of our day are drawn to us because they see Jesus in us. Let's pray. Father, out there today in our world, in our own little worlds, are people and many people who are lost. Can you help us to see these people through your eyes? Can you help us to see these people with the love that you have for them? Can you help us to see these people as people who are worth sacrificing for? And may you bring many of these people to a saving relationship in Jesus Christ that we as a church can rejoice with them in the great joy of knowing that they are now yours. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The team are going to come up and lead us in a final song. And uh, sorry, in a minute, we're not going to get we're not going to forget communion this morning.